0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is Ag Day.
1: A student on a mission. Definitely overwhelming, challenging. How this Oklahoma 4 h 'er is impacting his community. Missouri's governor takes aim at foreign owners. Believe me, if I
0: had the authority, we wouldn't just be talking about banning farmland.
1: Details on his new executive order. And South America has seen a difficult growing season. Why too much rain may be a bad thing. Today on Ag Day. Ag Day, presented by Pioneer. What's next happens when the testing grounds meet the proving grounds. Pioneer, what's next happens here. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Soybean prices on notice to start the year as rains return to the key growing areas in South America. But is it enough or too much to help with what's been a critical and difficult La Nina growing season? Eric Snodgrass is an atmospheric scientist for Nutrient Ag Solutions. He says this forecast for rain is a sudden switch from the last three months where South America has been incredibly dry, especially in the western regions. Models are now forecasting much wetter conditions, calling for as much as 8 to 10 inches of rain in the next two weeks.
2: So to be honest with you, I think this is a worst case scenario compared to if it just stayed drier. What I mean by that is you bring in all that rain, it's going to impact some early harvest, but what happens if all of that moisture begins to get recycled? In other words, it sticks around and it makes things wetter uh, for a while. Now all of a sudden you start pushing back the the, the the harvest time period and that's going to just keep pushing that crop calendar such that the safrina grows in late. So Yeah, it's a big wild card in South America. Certainly the markets have responded one way, but um, I'm not so sure that heavy rains are the best way to go right now.
1: Now, Snodgrass says El Nino reached its peak at the end of December. He says now what's called the MJO is riding on top of El Nino, and that's pumping tropical moisture into Brazil and increasing their chances for heavy rainfall. Michelle Rook has been following this closely all season, and Michelle, these forecasts really seem to be impacting prices here to start the year.
3: The soybean market had been holding at least some South American weather premium with the reports of drought in some areas of Brazil. But now the market has shifted to a rain makes grain mentality, and that's going to make it tough to rally soybeans or even corn for that matter, unless there's some sort of supply shock soon. Improved weather in central and northern Brazil is trumping lower crop estimates. Crop consultant Dr. Michael Cordonier cut Brazil's soybean crop to 151 million metric tons this week. Stonex slashed production 9 million metric tons to 152.8, below last season's record crop. However, market analysts say it's priced in.
0: The lower crop estimates have been kind of jumping around in the market for a while now. When we went home last week, there there was an expectation that there was going to be rain in the drier areas of Brazil going into roughly the 10th of January. All that got extended out to the 15th of January. And some of the forecasters are saying we're sort of going to return to more normal growing conditions.
3: As a result, the commodity funds were big sellers in soybeans to start the year, pushing contracts to six and a half month lows and leaving the market vulnerable.
0: That puts them back short, um, which they haven't been short for quite a long time now.
3: Yet there are still analysts that say rains may have come too late to help earlier planted Brazil soybeans.
0: One, two, maybe three percent harvested in Mara so The yields are reported to be rather disappointing. And I would guess whatever is going to be harvested at least in the next two weeks, three weeks, probably has already seen its damage done.
3: But he says Brazil's soybean crop will need to drop below 150 million metric tons to rally the market.
0: I've been saying for quite some time that the losses in Brazil have to be a minimum. 10 to 15 million metric tons in order to move the market higher than what we had and that's back when it was at 13 dollars a bushel.
3: Brazil's corn estimates have also dropped with Cordonier at 117 and Stonex at 124.6. That's below last year's 139 million metric ton crop but there's still time for rain to help the second crop corn. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for Ad Day.
1: Meanwhile, another state is issuing a ban on certain types of foreign land ownership, this time as an executive order from Missouri's Governor Mike Parson. Governor Parson announcing the executive order Tuesday. Now, it impacts more than just China. Now, effective immediately, it bans individuals and businesses from nations designated as foreign adversaries from purchasing ag land within 10 miles of critical military facilities across the state. The order also gives the Missouri Department of Agriculture greater authority and oversight. All foreign ag land purchases will now go through that department. Parsons says this executive order safeguards and protects Missourians by being proactive against potential threats.
0: First of all, this is as far as an executive authority goes under the current law of the state. Believe me, if I had the authority, we wouldn't just be talking about banning farmland, but all commercial properties by foreign adversaries, regardless of rural or urban. Because a commercial building in our urban area in the hands of adversaries poses just as much, if not more, of a threat to our security interests than a rural farm.
1: Now the order does not affect current landowners. Parson says it 's not a complete ban on foreign owned farmland, adding that could harm Missourians with state allies, including foreign investments that bring billions of dollars and thousands of jobs to the state. The California Department of Water Resources taking its first snowpack measurements of the year. the team sharing video of its work at the Phillips station. they found a snow depth of seven and a half inches, which is 30% of average. Overall officials say statewide snow was just 25% of average for this time of year. They say it's the worst start for the state's watershed in a decade.
4: Here at Phillips last year, on the state, we were standing on almost uh, five feet of snow, so vastly different than what we are standing on here today. Uh, today's result shows that it's really still too early to, to determine what kind of year we'll have in terms of wet or dry. Um, And there can be so many things that happen with our storm systems uh, before between now and April when we should see our peak snowpack.
1: He says statewide reservoirs remain above average thanks to those big snows a year ago. They are currently sitting at 116% of average. Rain and snow are in the forecast for the western U.S. and southern high plains this week. Meteorologist Matt Engelbrecht joins us with the details. Matt. Yeah, I wanted to focus on the
2: snowfall estimate because you can actually follow the energy in the atmosphere where some snowfall could come through. We'll start off uh, on Thursday and see a pocket of snow back in New New Mexico. That'll grow into some higher snowfall totals and higher terrain, but also possibly some light snow in and across uh, the panhandle of Texas and Oklahoma. Now this is Thursday at 11 p.m. Thursday night and into Friday, that energy is going to translate from the west to the east and result in some wider coverage of light snow in and across the United States. Now it is worth mentioning that uh, we do have some above average temperatures uh, across the area, uh, which could eat into uh, a good portion of the snowfall totals, especially if we're only expecting uh, maybe a half an inch where you see kind of that uh, white outline. So again, this is Saturday at 7 AM. As we go into uh, Sunday and Monday, the next system starts to take shape, not only on the East Coast, but across the United States on Tuesday and Wednesday. Go ahead, look at your screen here. A great photo coming in from uh, Jennifer. This is a Champaign County, Illinois 4-H judging team practicing at uh, the uh, feed yard in Wiggins, Colorado. Uh, Hunter, Nolan, Olivia, and Morgan are preparing to compete at the Western National Roundup in Denver later this week along with hundreds of other 4-Hers from across the country. Jen says it was a beautiful day to judge cattle. A balmy 17 degrees when they started, but it warmed up to... 27 degrees with sunshine and clear skies. That does make a bit of a difference.
1: We'll talk more about your forecast in just a bit. Cattle hit the reverse button while corn and soybeans try to eke out some gains. Michelle Rook has our midweek markets coming up next. And later, meet an Oklahoma student driven to help others. His incredible journey to making the world a better place in the country. A seriously mixed day for commodity markets as a whole host of things push traders in a variety of directions. Michelle Rook is here to help us sort through it all in Markets Now.
3: Grains ending mixed on Wednesday. Chuck Shelby, Risk Management Commodities, joining us, and corn and soybeans did see a bit of a recovery after new contract lows in the corn market, but was it just a dead cat bounce?
0: Well, I think there was a point there where you run out of sellers. We had such a sharp break uh, the day before so it was encouraging to see the market come back around. Uh, maybe we absorbed all the negative news. And uh, it was nice to see it at least close on the positive side. And as we go forward, can we build on that as we move towards the end of this shortened uh, trading week?
3: Yeah, I guess that was my question. You know, we bounced off some technical support areas, but how long do you think that support can hold, Chuck?
0: I think part of it would depend uh, if producers decide to start uh, moving grain or not. Really, the... Fund money has been the negative in sellers in this market. Farmers have so far held off, uh, they're willing to wait and see if we can get a recovery. So uh, I look at Friday as kind of a telling day, whether the market uh, can hold here and uh, move higher as we move into the following week.
3: Yeah. The market also seemed to take out maybe some Brazilian weather premium, watching the weather down there. But did we take out too much premium, do you think, or not?
0: Well, it, it seemed like it. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, in, inputs are coming in that the, this uh, crop is smaller. A lot of the trade thinks it is, and it's fairly small. Uh, you gotta couple that with uh, some rain coming in. How late in the season is it? So I, I do feel we've probably factored in some rain. Maybe it's gonna help uh, the question going forward, is it gonna continue to rain or not?
3: Specs still selling in the wheat market. It was the higher dollar part of that too?
0: Yeah, a little surprising that, you know, the dollar had been in decline and it's uh, rallied back pretty sharply the last couple of days. Uh, yeah, sure, certainly hurts our, our wheat uh, export business. So uh, it's held up here in the $6 range. Uh, found some support, found stuff there. So, uh, again, maybe we've done uh, all the damage we're going to do in the wheat.
3: Thanks for joining us. Chuck Shelby, Risk Management Commodities. We'll have more update coming up.
2: Now a little bit ago we looked at uh, the uh, effects of the jet stream matching up with some surface moisture, snowfall at the surface. Now I want to look at kind of the mechanics within the jet stream, but also it gets you set for next week as well. So this is Thursday and into Friday. That's the low or the trough that's going to produce some snow in and across the United States. One thing to keep in mind though, on Friday and going into the weekend, is the warmer than average temperatures anticipated uh, for the Southeast, but also back up here into the Midwest. The coldest of the cold air stays back up to the North Friday, Saturday uh, and Sunday. Watch what happens in the Monday and Tuesday. One thing that we've been eyeing the last, let's say three or four days even this past weekend, uh, signals increasing for more widespread snowfall and a more impactful system. Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week and you'll hear you'll see why. This is the jet stream on Monday. And I press the button you'll see that trough really starts to deepen and two things are going to happen. Uh, with this trough. One, it's going to pick up uh, a decent amount of moisture from the Gulf of Mexico with how far south it is starting to sink. As that happens, we're going to converge that with some colder air coming in from the north. You can see this line right here cut through Montana, the Dakotas, uh, as well as back up into Canada. That's going to sink more to the south and bring in that colder air uh, to result in more widespread snow showers. In and across the United States. Uh, We start to see more of a a negative tilt within the jet stream on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, that is gonna amplify some of the impacts and the wind field in and around this circle, especially more to the east uh, on this system. Now it's uh, Tuesday. It's less than a week away but still far enough that these details are still kind of fuzzy. I still think we got to get through that weekend system before it becomes a really clear where impacts are going to be felt. That being said, this is going to be the first uh, mainly of the season, the winter season, of uh, more of a significant snow, snowstorm in and across the United States. Now, otherwise, in the more immediate future, uh, that's that next piece of energy. Bottom left-hand corner of your screen getting set to work in and across the United States. Start off in Florida, Cross City, sunny, high around 62 degrees, low of 36. Shelton, Washington, with some rain, high of 45, low of only 42. Troy,
1: Alabama, high of 58, mostly sunny skies, low around freezing. Cattle prices are riding a seesaw to start the year. We'll look at where profits finished 23, coming up next. And later, the inspiration behind a driven student in Oklahoma. See why he's determined to make his community a better place in the country. Data from Christmas week shows cattle feeders continue to see significant losses. That's according to the latest information from the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker. Now, it found feeders lost an average of $110 per head. That's now five consecutive weeks of negative margins. Meanwhile, packers saw positive margins of $14 per head. Cash cattle last week traded up to $172 per hundred. Packers were very interested looking for cattle. We had great participation from all of them and some of them.
0: We're going to be picked up fairly quickly, so I think I was hearing a couple different stories, a few different individuals that had cattle that have been sitting on for a while, but I kind of think the scale's tipping more towards that they still want the cattle. They're still close to the knife, and they had some really good dust forward sales that they needed to buy cattle for. Um, some of those
1: orders to fill. Cattle sold, according to Sterling, carried a feed cost of $440 per head, which is 22% lower than a year ago. And California's Proposition 12 officially began enforcement this week. The state has now registered some 1,250 producers and distributors, deeming them clear to sell both eggs and pork into the state. The Prop 12 law prohibits the sale of pork and poultry from animals that don't meet the state's animal welfare housing standards. Have you ever met someone determined to change the world? We'll introduce you to one such person next, the story of Oklahoma's Reed Markham and his drive to help others in the country. Drover's Report on Ag Day is brought to you by Neogen. Discover your possibilities and enhance your herd's potential. Are past and the start of a new year is a good time to reflect on the impact you hope to make in the days ahead. That's how one Oklahoma 4-H'er looks at every day. Curtis Hare with Sunup TV reports on the growing legacy of Reed Markham.
4: Basically, downtime, or really just any time, isn't something Reed has a lot of these days.
1: Definitely overwhelming, challenging.
4: That's the funny thing about college. It can take all your anxieties and insecurities and turn the dial on them up just a few notches.
5: But the way he manages things, though, he is really good at it.
4: But what's been hard is he has officially entered the reality of moving on from something that's played a massive role in his life since the fifth grade, 4-H.
6: I joined mainly to find new friends and people that were like me because uh, anxiety and ADHD going to stop me from
5: coming out of my shell and going to meet new people. He wanted to be in a speech contest. He had practiced for that, and then he's like, I'm not doing it.
4: But one person who would go on to have an an immense impact on Reed's life had other ideas. His 4-H leader, Donna Curry, just outright refused to give Reed an easy out.
5: She said, Reed, you're going to do this 4-H speech contest. You're going to do this because you can do this. No, you know, they'll make fun of me and I'm not going to do it. Well, she got him to do it and he won first place.
4: With the help and support from his family, especially his older brother, Miles, he championed numerous projects in Pittsburgh County, winning several awards including the 2024 National Youth in Action Award.
6: Uh, One of the very first things that I did was a homeless bag giveaway, and I just wanted to try and do something to help them get back on their feet. And so I filled about 50 paper sacks full of all kinds of things, hygiene materials, food, water. But scrolling
4: through Facebook one day, Reed stumbled across a story that would inspire his next
6: project.
5: Hudson Campbell was a little boy. Uh, He had pediatric cancer. We didn't know Hudson or his family.
6: But to see him smile and his smile that could light up a dark room, it gave you hope.
5: So we we were keeping up with Hudson and everything, and um, Hudson passed in 2018. And um, he said, Mom, I want to do something for Hudson's family.
4: So Reed started the Hudson Strong Silent Auction, raising over $7,000 for Hudson's family.
5: And then the second year, um, he found out about a little girl, Kenna Machoda.
4: Nine-year-old Kenna Machoda was born with a rare heart condition. And like Hudson, Reed didn't know her.
5: And so he asked the Campbells if he could do the auction again and split the cost so she could go on a Disney cruise.
4: To date, Reed's annual silent auction has raised a little over $180,000 to help those in need. But it would soon be Reed and his family who would need help.
5: Reed lost his only sibling.
4: Miles, who fully supported and actively encouraged Reed with his projects, passed away in the Army.
6: Uh, My brother played a huge part in my life. He was one of the very first people I looked up to.
4: Just a few short months later, another tragic blow.
5: He lost Miss Donna Curry to a brain aneurysm.
1: It it was devastating. Uh, Donna was, uh, she was family. She was
6: my second mom. She was the person that pushed me to join 4-H. It's been a different past few years.
4: But again. Reed is Reed. He had two goals after that awful year. Help people and keep pushing forward. The toy giveaway. The project that means the most to Reed. Since 2016, Reed's Christmas toy giveaway has provided over 53,000 gifts for children.
3: He was an answer to our prayers because we were grieving the loss of Hudson. and He gave us a way to give back by honoring his memory. He's an amazing kid.
6: Hey, there's a good chance we won't remember 100 years from now. If we make an impact on the planet and on our nation, that can
1: be remembered. Don't remember what you did.
4: In Pittsburgh County, I'm Curtis Hare.
1: Thanks Curtis and SUNUP TV for sharing that story with us. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Ag Day, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.